prosecute them. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. Welcome to the middle of the week, Wednesday the 24th of August. I'm Peter Lewis and this is Money Talk on Radio 3. Business activity in the US, Europe, Japan and Australia fell in August, according to new surveys, pointing to a sharp slowdown in global economic growth. Activity around the world is being hit by surging oil and gas prices, rampant inflation, which is weakening consumer demand, and the war in Ukraine, which is disrupting global supply chains. The U.S. service sector PMI came in at a 27-month low of 44.1 in August. That's down from 47.3 the previous month. The reading suggests the decline worsened this month rather than easing, as economists had predicted. Eurozone business activity suffered its biggest contraction for 18 months in August due to higher prices, falling demand and rising inventories of unsold goods. German businesses reported their biggest decline in activity for more than two years, while French businesses suffered their first contraction for 18 months. Growth in UK economic activity has slowed more than expected to an 18-month low. Private sector activity shrank on weaker demand, supply shortages and a shortage of labour. Japan factory output growth hit the lowest level in 19 months in August as manufacturers were hit by weakening global demand and rising costs. Japan's services industry slipped into contraction for the first time since March. The Hong Kong Economic Times is reporting that government officials here are considering travel and quarantine exemptions for participants in the November Investment Summit, which is being organised by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and designed to coincide with the Rugby Sevens. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Allcroft, William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at uh, Grow Investment Group, and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. On Wall Street, US stocks erased early gains and closed lower for the third straight day as those US PMIs painted a grim picture of the economy and housing activity also deteriorated. Investors are also awaiting Jerome Powell's speech at Jackson Hole on Friday. The S&P 500 closed 0.2% lower at 4,129. The Dow lost 154 points, that's half a percent, to end at 32,910. The Nasdaq Composite Index was unchanged at 12,381, leaving it about 16% above its mid-June low. China's e-commerce giant JD.com, whose ADRs are listed in New York, posted its slowest quarterly growth on record as it became the latest victim of the COVID-induced economic slowdown on the mainland. Revenue rose 5.4% in the April to June quarter to 268 billion Chinese yuan. That's about 40 billion US dollars. ADRs of JD.com rose 3.4%. The Pan-European Stock 600 index fell 0.4%. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 0.6%. Asian stocks ended Tuesday on a downbeat note following the slide on Wall Street the previous day. The MSCI Asia-Pacific Index dipped 0.7% and was down for the sixth straight day. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index slid 154 points 
or 0.8%, to a more than three-month low of 19,503. The tech index was down a third of a percent. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 0.1% to 3,276. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled above $100 a barrel for the first time since the start of the month, rising 3.9% to $100.22. Gold is 0.7% higher at $1,746 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield, which broke above 3% for the first time in a month on Monday, added another three basis points yesterday to 3.06%. And the US dollar index fell 0.4% against a basket of currencies following the weak US economic data. The the euro, which has the biggest weighting in the index, rose 0.2% to 99.7 cents, having earlier traded at a new two-decade low of just 99 cents. The Japanese yen strengthened to 136.8. Sterling regained the $1.18 level and is trading 0.6% higher at $1.18 and a third of a cent. The Hong- and against the Hong Kong dollar, it's at 9.28. The PBOC slashed the Chinese yuan central parity rate by 325 pips to 6.8523. That's the weakest level in two years. Offshore yuan is at 6.85 and a half this morning. And Bitcoin is trading at $21,500. Let's take a look around Asia-Pacific markets at the open this morning. In Australia, the SX200 up a third of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is flat. The Cosby is up 0.6%. And it looks like a flat open for the Hang Seng in uh, just over an hour's time later on this morning. Times 8.09 and on this Wednesday morning we have a panel of guests scattered all over the world. First of all, we're here in Hong Kong, Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft. Morning, Stuart. And good morning to you, Peter. And up in Ningbo on the mainland, we should find William Ma, who is Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. Morning, morning, William. Morning, Peter. Good to hear from you. (laughs) And over in Washington, D.C., we have our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning to you, Barry. Yes, I won't be as loud as uh, William because, boy, he got my attention. I like it. <laughs> no, good morning to you, Peter. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, look, let's start with that, the, all that uh, business activity data that I mentioned um, in the open this morning. Um, Barry, maybe you want to start on this. It, it does seem to paint a bit of a bleak picture for the global economy, doesn't it? And coming at a time when um, central banks are still very much focused on taming inflation and rising interest and raising interest rates. You're right. You're right. There's no other way to put it. This is a string of rather negative data. And it's not just U.S., as you say, but it's also Europe and even Japan. So, yeah, it's not good. But uh, if you look at the manufacturing uh, data that uh, came out, uh, I mean, that shows that there was a surprise uh, decline from what was expected. The service sector down sharply. So we've got a mixed picture. You know, go back a week's time, Peter, and you and I were talking about industrial production being uh, holding up very well and car production doing very well mm-hmm. in the state. So that is mixed. I think the key figure coming out before the Fed on Friday and, and, and Powell's speech will be the revision of GDP for the second quarter. 
because it was showing a contraction at an annual rate of what, 9.9%. I've got a feeling that may shift into a positive number. If so, uh, sentiment could turn around. You know, sentiment has really just, you know, been volatile from up to down and now down again. So it's a mixed bag. So with all this mixed data, what is your feeling about the US economy? Is it slowing or is it holding up well? Oh, I think it's slowing, and I think that's exactly what the Fed wants, and I think the Treasury Department is going along with that. We're seeing a needed slowdown in the housing market, which had been too strong, and despite the fact that rates have gone up substantially on mortgages, the housing sector, home prices are still up year over year. So yes, it's slowing, but uh, still, there's a lot of money out there and a lot of economic activity. But none of this is a great deal of surprise, is it really, Barry? Because we've been, what, we've been talking about this for the last month or two, that the economy is changing, the impact of um, inflation, energy prices, uh, and in certainly for our part of the world, lack of any tourism and travel. You know, this is all impacting on, on how the economies are, are, are going to be developing for the next uh, year or so. And, and clearly China, very substantial part of it all has slowed down a lot. So um, I, I, th I don't think any of this is a great deal of a surprise. I think I agree with that, Stuart. Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, we, what we have to do is to live within whatever, whatever numbers come out. Um, the numbers may be quite bad some, day, some weeks and not so bad other weeks. It's just a little uncertainty, really. I suppose the worry here, though, is that um, this is happening before some central banks have even really started raising interest rates. I mean, the data seems to suggest the Eurozone is in contraction already and the, and the ECB has only just started its rate-hiking uh, cycle. Yeah, and, and that's a big problem because I think, uh, as we've already seen in the UK, for example, the, um, uh, the head of the Bank of England, who's responsible for rates, is already getting under fire for not, a, not raising rates quick enough. Mm. So if that's going to happen to him, it, it's very likely that that will happen also for the ECB. William, you're, you're based up on the mainland at the, at the moment there. I mean, we haven't even mentioned China yet, but of course, a sharp slowdown in China we're witnessing as well. Um, all, all these PMI datas that we're seeing, the data out of China that we've had, do you think it suggests that we're, we're facing a sharp slowdown now in global economic activity? Yeah, actually, if you look at the leading indicator, which is the infantry, you know, in the channel, you know, in U.S. and global, as well as from, from us talking to some of the, you know, manufacturers in China, uh, global, global demand has been quite weak. So I believe, you know, in the next, you know, quarter or so, um, the global kind of light channel has to digest all the piled up infantry and weaker demand. So I, I don't expect, you know, it will be recovering, you know, anytime soon. Do you think central banks are going to look at this data and maybe think about pausing uh, at least aggressive interest rate hikes? Or are they going to say, actually, on the contrary, this is what we need to see and, and inflation is still too high? Well, I'll take that for the moment, Peter. But I, th I mean, the, the, from a central bank's perspective, they think their tool 
to slow inflation is to increase interest rates. There's absolutely no doubt inflation is increasing, and the cause of that is energy prices rising beyond all reasonable levels, doubling in price in the last month for, for natural gas, for example. And, um, and I think that the central banks will take the view that they have to increase interest rates quicker rather than uh, not increase them at all. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about what the Fed will do, but it's, and I'm pretty certain that um, we'll find out later this week that the Fed will uh, increase interest rates uh, at their next meeting, probably by 75 basis points. William, the thing is on China, People's Bank of China is going in the opposite direction, isn't it? It's actually uh, lowering rates, albeit at a very pedestrian pace. It's, you almost get the impression that the PBOC doesn't want to uh, lower rates, but it, but it has no choice at the moment. Exactly, Peter. I think the big guns is coming out. You know, if you look at um, the, the stimulus policy, I think liquidity is already abundant. If you look at M1 and M2 and all the bank policy, but... To be honest, demand is very weak in terms of, you know, sentiment as well. So we are expecting more targeted stimulus, for example, in the consumption side. Some of the uh, provinces, uh, we are expecting some cash queue point being handed out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, the white goods manufacturer, they will get benefit. People will, you know, start sending, hopefully, fine refrigerator and kind of like air conditioner, like back in 08. So I think there will be more different form of stimulus need to be, you know, implemented. Isn't this, William, the classic liquidity crunch? Um, there's plenty of actually money sloshing around in the system. The PBOC is urging banks to lend it out. The problem is people don't want to borrow it, neither individuals because, uh, you know, they're losing their jobs, their income is declining. Businesses don't want to borrow either because of the, the lockdowns and the slowdown in the economy. This is a classic liquidity crunch, exactly. isn't it, for, for China? Exactly. So I think the next catalyst or solution has to be more uh, kind of like uh, COVID zero policy relaxing, you know, towards the end of this year. Otherwise, the fundamental kind of like sentiment of business activity cannot be changed. And if you look at unemployment rate for the young generation, 19.9% is really high. So I believe the government uh, is addressing this issue through different forms. Just pumping liquidity is not sufficient. That, that's a big, big problem, isn't it? One out of five young people in the basically the 16 to 24-year-old age brackets were out of work with no job, and they're being joined by lots of new graduates who, who can't get jobs either. This is a really big problem, isn't it, for the government? Yes, yeah, 13, uh, 13, uh, 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 13 million, you know, fresh graduates every year in China. And I was on a panel, you know, talking to six... Uh, um, uh, 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 60,000, you know, uh, fresh grad online, and they are all curious, you know, how to find jobs, what are the opportunities. I think bottom line is supporting the need on small cap, and I believe there will be more tax, you know, kind of like targeted benefit, encouraging the need and small cap to hire people. But I, I don't think it can be solved in a quarter or two. It has to be longer term recovery. Mm. Barry, when the Fed looks at all this data, what does it think? Does it, in the past, when you start to, when they have tightened and started their tightening cycles, they've backed off pretty quickly uh, when there are signs of the economy weakening or stock markets taking a plunge. Um, do you get the sense that that's not going to happen this time? Maybe this time is different? I get the sense that uh, Mr. Powell and his colleagues are happy they're not in Europe. And in one sense, they're happy they're not in China, because I think the U.S. has got more flexibility and more room for maneuver. 
You mentioned that uh, they can turn quickly. It's only a year ago, think of that, a year ago that Jerome Powell was saying inflation was transitory. Mm. At Jackson Hole, by, isn't it? I mean, really. Yeah. And then January, <laughs> we saw the beginning of this tightening cycle. And then, you know, this surprise two times 0.75 rate increase on Fed funds. And Stewart just said it's going to happen a third time. I think it's going to be 0.50. But Stewart will remind me I've been wrong before. <laughs> Europe is the problem. You can't remember Europe, Europe Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I wanted to jump before you got me. Uh, you know, Europe is the problem because the war is right there. They've taken on so many refugees. The Germans are very pessimistic. The Poles are pessimistic. The energy price rise has gone up 700%. And they're tightening at the time that the economy clearly is slowing down while inflation's high. I think Christine Lagarde's got a very tough job. And I think there you could see, before stagflation takes hold, you could see the ECB reverse course by the end of the year. Yeah, and, and remember that uh, the ECB has moved from negative interest rates just to being flat, and that's not even a proper increase, is it? I mean, they've, they've, they've got to get their head around having real increases mm. in interest rates, so interest rates do uh, go up, um, and, and you know, a lot of firms will find that quite difficult because they've had a very long period of time with very, very low rates. Um, but, of course, we, we, we must never forget, and, and I, I do like to remind you of this, increase, increases in interest rates are good for savers who leave their money on deposit. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, something that um, we, 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 we really need to see more of, because for the last 15, 20 years, savers with money on deposit have got next to nothing. The, the problem is for Europe, though, isn't it? It's, it's gas prices, which are absolutely surging. They're now yep. 14 times their average that we've seen over the past decade. But the ECB can raise rates as much as it likes. It's not going to affect that, is it? It's not going to change it. You're quite right. You're quite right. But it's, a, it, it's also about new supply. And I think it was interesting that um, uh, Olaf Schulz, the German uh, chancellor, was in um, Canada and they are talking, Canada is talking about supplying um, liquid petroleum gas to Europe. Um, probably starting before the end of the year. Logistically, there are a few complications, they say, but um, this, you know, getting the gas from, from Canada um, for Europe as opposed to Russia for Europe um, is, is going to be an interesting challenge. So what is... Oh, boy, that's for sure. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a huge logistical challenge. It is a shipping almost nightmare, and it's not going to solve the problem. You just can't ship enough... LNG by sea to compensate what they were getting from Russia. And I, I think the Europeans have gotten themselves in a real pickle because they want Ukraine to win this war. There's indications that that's not happening. In fact, it may be quite the contrary. So Europe being closer to the front is bearing the brunt. And uh, this is a problem. And I might just throw out to both William and to Stuart, 
What about the dollar? My goodness, to have the euro below parity to the dollar when most people would think it should be a dollar twenty to a dollar forty, to have the pound at one dollar eighteen, <laughs> and look at this uh, the, the, this downward shift in the renminbi. This is, I think, worrisome. Yeah, I, I, and I wonder what our good friend Donald Trump would make of all of that, Barry. <laughs> So with all Thank this, goodness, he's not making the decisions. <laughs> so, so with all of this, what what is the message going to be on Friday from Jerome Powell at Jackson uh, Jackson Hole? You said, Barry, last uh, last year at Jackson Hole, he famously declared that inflation was transitory and was famously wrong about that. What what's the message going to be this year? Well, my own guess, Peter, is that he's going to say, "Look, we're gonna we're going to slay this inflation dragon, and we're going to do it quickly." We're going to do it before it takes hold, and we're going to do it while economic activity is still strong. I think that's the message. And I, I agree with that. I think that he's he, he's got to come out with some positive messaging, but I think um, he, he can't not be saying that interest rates will be going up, and he can't be not saying that they won't be paying a lot of attention to the impact of inflation on the U.S. economy. Uh, inflation is clearly uh, rife across Europe, as we've seen with um, all sorts of forecasts of, of the next um, six to 12 months as, as to what to be expected. Um, it, it isn't going to be looking very nice at all there. William, up on the mainland, you've got another problem as well. China's caught in this grip um, of a devastating heat wave, which is causing uh, power cuts for industries um, across a number of provinces, particularly Sichuan province. And um, what's the impact of all this going to be up there? Are you feeling it there? And what's the impact going to be on the economy? Well, Lindo is quite hot, you know, uh, 39 degrees. But when I talk to my friend in Sichuan, actually some of the offices, they turn off the air conditioner. So basically some people mm. are working from home. So the impact is material. And I believe it will drag some of the supply chain, for example, in the EV or the car manufacturing industry as well. So we're expecting Q3, you know, um, economic data in China would not be too bright. So that's why, you know, in terms of sentiment and business confidence, I think, you know, not until Q4 people will start and kind of like consume again. So China's cut interest rates. Um, it cut the five-year loan prime rate by 15 basis points. Most mortgages in China are tied to the five-year loan prime rate. Are these interest rate cuts that we've seen, are they enough? Are they going to have an impact on the economy, William? I think liquidity is enough already. I believe what are the stronger message, if you like, you know, um, this week and last week, is um, some of the real estate developers, to get potential funding to finish their project. I think that adds a lot of confidence in potential home buyers, you know, in China. At least they understand, you know, um, they pay the down payment, those real estate, um, there is a chance to be finished. I think that recovers some sentiment. So next step is whether we see those, you know, policies being implemented, those money will get to the developer and then those houses will be delivered or not. And um, But recent, you know, sentiment in terms of new home sales is remain quite weak. So I think, um, as I mentioned, there will be more innovative ways of direct supporting rather than just 
you know, policy in cutting interest rate or pumping liquidity. The, the problem is, though, these um, interest rate cuts, the announcements, the policy announcements that are being sort of drip-fed out of Beijing, including the measure you've just mentioned mm. to try and stabilise uh, the mm. property market, isn't really having an impact on Chinese stocks, is it? The MSCI China Index is down now 12% this quarter. Um, and if you compare mm. uh, the global MSCI, that's up 8%. So this is a huge underperformance for, for Chinese stocks. What do you think it's going to take um, to restore confidence to the Chinese uh, stock market? Yeah, I think the recover first leg has done. If you recall, you know, year-to-day work was down about 25%. So I think the market rebound by 10 to 15 already. I think the next big catalyst is threefold. One is, you know, the top-line GDP figure, you know, has to be recovered. The second is earnings. But I don't think those two would be uh, uh, quite right, you know, in Q3 and Q4. So I think the third leg is some changes in lockdown or civil COVID policy, potentially in Q4. I think that will uh, change the sentiment. But having said that, in terms of valuation, it's really undemanding, you know, 11 times, and we are actually mm-hmm. seeing some, you know, slightly earnings improvement in certain sectors. So I think the, the catalyst would be on uh, the lockdown policy. Do you think the, that underperformance uh, is coming to an end? Is it a time now to start looking at China stocks again? Well, yes, if you look at um, the counter-cyclical, you know, for example, global rate is increasing, China rate is cutting, as well as, you know, I think the domestic consumption is weak, but there will be more stimulus. So it's a good time to start looking at it, but I think the rally uh, will only kind of like come in Q4 or, you know, early next year. So now it's hard to looking at it, but I don't think it's like short-term, you know, quickly, but if you like. Stuart and Barry, what about uh, other markets in, in the US? The rally that we've seen over the summer, uh, it seemed to have come to an end on Friday uh, and Monday and Tuesday. We've had three days of declines um, now. Was this just a bear market, uh, bear market rally uh, that's come to an end, or do you think we're in a new bull market? Stuart, you go first. All right, look, I will. I, I think that it is indeed a bear market rally. I think this whipsaw between up, down, uh, now they're focused all on down things. There's enough to, uh, in fact, justify that case. But I suspect uh, that we have not reached the cyclical bottom. There's more to come because the economy, no matter what that GDP figure for Thursday comes in at, I think that the U.S. economy, the weakness is not yet been fully appreciated by the markets. Sadly, Barry, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the Boy, market, that's rare. Yeah, well, so of course. Um, but uh, you know, I think the market is, in, is struggling. I think that uh, we have seen um, ups and downs, and we'll continue to see even more volatility as, as we go through the next uh, two or three months, as different aspects of the current uh, geopolitical crisis, the current economic crisis, just uh, each of these will have its own impact and have... Uh, they'll have moments where it's positive and they'll have even more moments where it's negative. And I just um, I think we're going for a pretty rough time over the uh, last six months of uh, this year. So the consensus seems to be a bear market rally is what we're witnessing, mm. certainly in U.S. stocks. Thank you all very much. That was Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant. You also heard from William Marr, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group, and our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. 
Let's take a final look at the markets uh, for this morning. First of all, in Australia, the ASX 200 uh, is up around half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up 0.1%. Cosby in South Korea has risen 0.6%. And it looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng in about an hour's time. Uh, thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for back chat after the news with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast mainly fine at first, apart from some haze and isolated showers and thunderstorms. Going to be very hot during the day with a maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. There is a very hot weather warning in force. The standby signal number one is also in force. It's 31 degrees right now, 72% relative humidity. Time's 8.30. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Lawmaker Gary Zhang says he estimates up to 2,000 Hong Kong students are still waiting to return to their studies in the mainland. He welcomed measures announced by the government yesterday to set up so-called care corridors and give them priority to cross the border through a quota system. But he says students should be given more than one day's notice of when they can leave the SAR, as this may be insufficient time to arrange a PCR test. He also said most students wanted help with transportation in order to reduce their overall costs. The notice time can be more longer. And the second, we think the charter coaches to Hong Kong, Zhuhai, Macau Bridge, to Zhuhai or to Zhongshan, as we heard from the students, many of them think that's the first choice because the prices, the cost of isolation is much more affordable compared to other options. The observatory says it'll issue the strong wind signal number three between noon and 2 p.m. as severe tropical storm Ma'an edges closer to the Pearl River estuary. The standby signal number one remains in force after being issued just after 9 p.m. yesterday. Ma'an is forecast to move toward the western coast of Guangdong while intensifying gradually. The observatory said local winds would strengthen tonight and that Ma'an should be close to Hong Kong tomorrow morning. A special prosecutor in the U.S. state of Georgia has ruled that two white police officers involved in the fatal shooting of a black man two years ago should not face criminal charges. Richard Brooks was shot in the back as he ran away from officers after taking a taser from them and attempting to fire it outside a restaurant in Atlanta. His death shortly after the police killing of George Floyd sparked a new wave of protests across the United States. The BBC's Nomia Iqbal reports. It's not likely to go anywhere now after this because it's been two years and the special prosecutor investigated this over the course of that time. Both men were charged, including the police officer that shot Rayshard Brooks. Uh, He was charged with murder. But in this case, the prosecutor has said that they are now plans in place to drop the charges against both police officers. The United States is expected to announce its largest single military aid package for Ukraine today as the country marks its Independence Day and the war hits the six-month mark. Here's the BBC's Anna Aslam. The United States has provided more than $10 billion in aid to Ukraine since Russia's invasion in February. But unlike previous aid packages, U.S. officials said this one is aimed at helping Kyiv secure its long-term defense, with no end to the war in sight. They said the funding, about $3 billion, would be used to train soldiers and buy weapons that may not be used in the battlefield for a year or two. Analysts say U.S. military aid has helped Ukrainian forces put the brakes on Russia's advance, especially in the east of the country. 
The Indian Air Force says three officers have been sacked for accidentally firing a missile into Pakistan in March. At the time, the incident was blamed on a technical malfunction, but the Air Force said an investigation had now established that it was caused by deviation from the standard operating procedures by the three officers. The missile crashed without causing any casualties. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong. And I'm Anna Fenton. On today's program, we're talking about the government's Strive and Arise program, a pilot scheme to help lift youngsters out of intergenerational poverty. 2000 Form 1 to Form 3 students will be offered a place on the one-year program. They'll be given allowances totaling $10,000 and be assigned a mentor from various sectors to help broaden their horizons and teach them valuable life skills. So how will the program help? What kind of skills can mentors impart that would make a lasting difference? Is there scope for broadening the scheme in the future? After 9.15, we'll look at the elderly homeless situation. After a 74-year-old street sleeper was robbed in Kowloon City this week. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, and our number is 2000-4123. <laughs> 